This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Good morning, Birdland. I'm Mark Brown. I've been blogging about the Orioles for more than a decade on CamdenChat.com and waiting for them to win the World Series for my whole life. Thanks for listening today. Let's talk some Orioles. It is now June the 23rd, 2023. The Orioles are 45-28 and 28 on the season after splitting a little two-game series with the Tampa Bay Rays this week. That record leaves the Orioles at a 100-win pace through 45% of the season. They are now 10-7 so far in the month of June with seven games left to be played. So the Orioles need to win at least three of those seven games to have a better than 500 record for the month. I hope, given who they're playing, that they will be able to manage to uh, go at least four and three over the next seven, but we'll see. The next two series, they've got three games over the weekend against the Seattle Mariners. Kind of a disappointing team so far this season after it seemed like maybe they were enjoying a bit of a breakout for a long run of success last year. They are actually below 500 for the season so far, two games below heading into Thursday with a 35 and 37 record. So, you know, that's a team I hope the Orioles can take two out of three against at home. A little bit more dodgy against the Cincinnati Reds, who as of this recording are riding an 11-game winning streak. They have uh, had their own top prospect debut, L.A. De La Cruz, and he, uh, I believe they're like 12-2 and since his debut or something like that. So that was an even more immediate impact than like Adley Rutschman debuting for the Orioles last year. So that's the next six games. And then the last game of June, part of a series won the first game against the twins, another disappointing team this year, as I mean, we're still here in, uh, in late June and every AL East team has a better record than every AL central team. The twins, although they are a division leader entered Thursday with a below 500 record, I'm recording this before their Thursday afternoon game is done. So if they beat the Red Sox, they'll be 500. But still, it's pretty sad to have a 500 division leader. And, you know, that's the AL Central. So, again, I mean, the Orioles are going to have to make some hay there. But, you know, I've been thinking for at least a week, really longer, that right now it's almost kind of like a waiting game for the Orioles. Because to me, it feels like the team that is playing right now, although they've certainly played to a good 45 and 28 record. And even if you're a bit more thinking they should be in line with their Pythagorean expected win-loss record based on runs scored and runs allowed of 40 and 33, um, it, it feels like this is not the best version of the Orioles team that we're going to see by season's end, or at least I hope it's not because as I'm tell as I say every time when I say the 100 win pace or whatever pace, uh, I don't think this team is, you know, that's the talent level. They're going to finish under that. So I think that what they're able to do to improve midseason is going to go a long way towards determining whether they end up at something like 88 wins, which would be more or less where they would finish if they go 500 from here, or if they can get themselves into the mid 90s. So I mean. 
That could mean there's going to be prospect arrivals of guys we're hoping are imminently arriving, like Colton Kowser from AAA Norfolk or Jordan Westberg. As I've said on this podcast before, and we'll probably say again until he's called up, it's a tougher squeeze to get Kowser in the outfield because all of the Orioles outfielders are performing pretty well. Cedric Mullins, it seems like, could be returning to the Orioles pretty soon. And, uh, you know, Aaron Hicks, the Mullins replacement, is playing well. So, you know, where do you even fit in Kowser? Well, okay. So Jordan Westberg, it's a little bit easier to fit him in since there's two infielders who are not hitting really even a tiny bit right now. And that's Jorge Mateo, who for the season now has a 620 OPS, which is below even his uh, career OPS of 640, which, you know, that's already pretty bad. And right now, Adam Frazier also has a 668 OPS. And, you know, I think that it's going to be tougher to continue having either or both of those guys getting playing time or possibly even a roster spot, depending um, if they don't rebound. And, you know, Westberg has been on fire for Norfolk. He's got 17 home runs down there. That's pretty good. Now, mind you, that's AAA, but... The Orioles, on the big league level, the Orioles team lead, there's a three-way tie for 11 home runs. So I think it would be pretty cool if the Orioles had a guy who had 17 home runs right now, and they don't. And maybe, you know, maybe Westberg is a guy who would come up and hit a bunch. I don't know. But uh, it it just feels like they got to do something with those guys, right? I don't know. Uh, it could also mean the Orioles are going to shuffle the bullpen as really you could name five guys right now, or probably at least three, maybe as many as five, who you don't really want to see. I think CNL Perez, Keegan Aiken, and Logan Gillespie are the absolute back end. And on bad days, and of course we're freshest thinking about these two guys struggling from their poor outings on Tuesday, uh, Brian Baker and Mike Bauman are both over fours for ERA now. You got to do better than that if you're going to be in the bullpen of a team that's on a 100-win pace, or else the team is not going to keep staying on a 100-win pace for long, especially when the starting pitchers are not exactly lighting the world on fire. They're not horrible, but they're not overall going deep enough into the games that you don't have to worry about, okay, who's going to be pitching the sixth inning because... You know, if your starters are only going five, then suddenly you need a sixth inning guy. And if you need a sixth inning guy, it's going to end up disappointing nearly every time. That's what I think. For the bullpen, I would say internal options have mostly run dry for now. Uh, Maybe the only guy that hasn't really gotten a shake. And I guess we know what the Orioles think about him because they called him up for like two days and then sent him down right away after was Nick Vespi. He uh, is doing pretty well for AAA Norfolk. I don't know why the Orioles don't regard him higher. Whatever. So maybe the bullpen, maybe even the rotation are going to get augmented by trade. It just seems like in addition to what the Orioles need this year, it seems like these trades are going to be a must, if only because there's so many high-level infield prospects that they're going to need to find playing time for, and they can't because the combined, you know, the combined picture of the big league plus Norfolk, like there's, there's more guys than there are spots for. And that's even if you take out um, both Adam Frazier and Jorge Mateo from the equation, 
which I don't think the Orioles are going to do. You know, at the big league level, there's also Gunnar Henderson, Ramon Arias. Um, currently, Joey Ortiz is on the big league team, although he they haven't had him play a ton. He's, of course, still a prospect. The uh, high-performing prospects at Norfolk, you've got Westberg. Connor Norby's a little bit lower behind there. Fresh arrival, Cesar Prieto does not have any kind of AAA track record yet. Um down at Bowie, you've got Kobe Mayo. There's there's just like a lot of prospects. And I don't think all of those guys are ticketed for the Orioles this year. And so maybe their best chance is going to be to be trade bait to get hopefully a I would say a starting pitcher who is good and can provide at least one season beyond this of good performance for the uh, you know the, the Orioles of the near future. And all of this is very different from the last time the Orioles entered a surprisingly good stretch of baseball in 2012, because like that year, the only prospect you could really point to who you knew was going to help the team that year was Manny Machado. And sure enough, he came up and he helped the team in a big way. But there wasn't this absolute glut of talent where you knew, okay, some of these guys were going to come up and make a difference. Um, in the 2014 season, which of course went very well, the Orioles won the division. By this point in the season, the two preseason prospects you might have thought were going to make a difference for the team were already on the team. And I would say that was Jonathan Scope and Kevin Gossman. Uh, Dylan Bundy was hurt at this point, so you couldn't really count on him. There were really only trade bait that year of sorts was Eduardo Rodriguez, who of course was traded for Andrew Miller. Still debating people are whether that was wise or not, but... Um, you know, Miller was good for the team, unlike some of the other players Dan Duquette acquired. So it, it's hard to be too upset about that. The third successful team, 2016. I mean, that team badly needed rotation help. And what they got was Tyler Wilson and Mike Wright, which, you know, tells a lot about not only why the Orioles had to settle for a wild card that year when they really had an offense that could have won the division. Uh, I mean, they also, quote unquote, had to make a trade. And the best they could do was trading Ariel Miranda for Wade Miley, who had a 5 ERA with Seattle and then went on to have a 5.75 ERA over two seasons as an Oriole. And just to annoy me, Miley has a 3.32 ERA combined over the last three seasons, although he did only play in nine games last year. So it's not even like he was cooked which is what I thought at the time he was on the Oriole. No, someone could revive him. The Orioles were just incapable of that because, you know, the Orioles at that time could not develop or uh, hone starting pitchers. And, you know, the 2016 Orioles also, we had the uh, early season excitement for Joey Rickard, Rule 5 pick, because there were no outfield prospects. Zero, none. And that was why we had to get excited about Joey Rickard. He had like two good weeks, made himself into Royal Farm commercials, uh, whatever. And that was about it. And, you know, um, good for him for getting into commercials. But it was not good for either the 2016 Orioles or beyond that the best they could do in the outfield was Joey Rickard. So, yeah. Um, there, there's, a, there's a very different picture with A, MLB-ready prospects on the farm who could maybe help the team this year, or MLB or near MLB-ready tradable prospects who could maybe get players who will actually help the team as opposed to, like, 
Wade Miley or Jeremy Hellickson or uh, Gerardo Parra or any of the other guys Duquette tried to bring in who were absolutely no help whatsoever. We've just got to hope that Michael Elias is better and making in-season trades, I guess, than Dan Duquette was. I hope that he's going to be able to do that. I will be right back after a message from a Fans First Sports Network sponsor. All right, so we're dipping into the mailbag today. This message comes from Camden Chat reader Island O's. Thank you very much for writing in. And he said, and this ties into what I was just talking about with the trades, by the way. Island O's said, quote, Elias has shown amazing skill at building a farm system and creating a great team. How well do you think he'll do with trades? Am I the only one who's frightened at losing prospects who might become superstars and getting pitchers in return who turn into pumpkins? Some reassurance would be nice if you can provide any. End quote. Islandos, I'm sorry to break it to you, man. If you're looking for reassurance, you're asking the wrong guy. Because uh, the last time I really felt confident about the 2014 Orioles, or the, the Orioles, was the 2014 ALCS. Literally, I was so confident. What happened? Well, it didn't turn out well. And so my default mode is to not be confident because you can't be hurt if you don't believe, right? No, but seriously, the most recent Mike Elias track record with trading for a major league pitcher was when the Orioles traded Darrell Ernais for Cole Irvin. And that's got three more years to be something other than a bust. But so far, it is a bust because Irvin made the first three starts of the season. He was so bad, he got bounced from the MLB rotation and down to the minors. The Orioles right now, even though they've called him back up, are not really worried about him getting his starts in because they just skipped his turn in the rotation thanks to the off days they've got this week. They had him pitch in relief on Wednesday against the Rays, and he still managed to give up one run in one inning. So I don't know what the plan is for Cole Irvin going forward, but what I do know is um, there might have been a reason that it was not a good idea to trade for a guy who over the last two seasons had a below average uh, ERA plus, which is again, the ERA when you adjust for the parks that pitchers play in and the league offensive environment, because Irvin 3.98 ERA for the athletics last year. So you hear that and you're like, okay, 3.98. That's pretty good, right? But remember the, whatever they're calling the Coliseum now that they're about to abandon, um, that's a very pitcher friendly park. And so doing, having your home games there is a big advantage. And Irvin's 3.98 ERA was actually 7% below league average. Now, you know, with how he's pitched for the 2023 Orioles, I would be very happy to take 7% below league average since Irvin is actually 45% below league average with his 7.71 ERA so far for the Orioles. And that's the that was the big offseason trade acquisition that they traded a, a big, well, okay, not a big, but maybe a second and a half tier prospect to get this guy. And so far... Squad douche uh, is the value they've gotten from that. And Hernais, by the way, the Oakland, they o- Oakland assigned him to their double A team. And through 57 games, he's batting 330 with a 389 on base percentage, 478 slugging percentage. So, you know, okay, the Orioles had infield prospects to spare because Hernais is an infielder. And I've already named all the infielders they've got at the high levels. So he might have just still been trade bait anyway. But the thing that gives me heartburn about that is it looks like it would have been a lot better if they held on to him for possibly improving in the middle of this season 
rather than trading for a guy uh, in Irvin who so far has done bupkis for the Orioles. And, you know, I, that's that's who he traded for. It wasn't good. I don't know what's going to go differently about it, right? Um, I guess if you want to look for a more encouraging example of a couple of trades that were made uh, in Houston when Elias was an assistant GM there, when they traded for Justin Verlander, and that was part of one the last like month of one season plus two more years, they gave up three players, Daz Cameron, Franklin Perez, Jake Rogers. And I'm just going to tell you, Houston had absolutely no regrets about that. They also eventually traded for Garrett Cole, which they got two full seasons of Cole. That was an off-season trade, not a mid-season trade. They gave up four prospects to um, get that deal done. Those guys were Michael Felice, Jason Martin, uh, Martin, Colin Moran, and Joe Musgrove. And there were no top 100 prospects out of those guys at the time of the trade. And as of right now, three of those four players have negative career war. So didn't miss them at all. The one guy they maybe could have missed, Joe Musgrove, ended up putting up about 10 baseball reference wins above replacement over um, five seasons after that trade. And okay, that's pretty good, right? But Garrett Cole was worth more than 10 wins above replacement in the two years with the Astros. So I guess, you know, that that's kind of the best case scenario we can hope for is, okay, maybe the Orioles do trade a prospect who has like 10 war over five years, but maybe they get a starting pitcher who they've got multiple years of control over and he can generate that much value in just a couple of years. Uh, you know, are they even going to be able to get that kind of guy? I don't know. Some of this stuff getting those two players particularly kind of depended on there being a team in a fire sale territory like the Tigers were when Verlander was dealt. And the Pirates at the time they traded Cole were just really a cheap team that uh, was probably not even making the smartest trade just to kind of get something for a guy they knew was not going to stick around long term. I don't think we can count on Elias being able to pry some good player without giving up any good prospects loose from like an idiot GM or whatever. I, I don't know that there is one right now. I, I, you know, I don't know. We'll see again. Islanders. I'm sorry if you wanted reassurance, I'm not the guy to give it to you, but thank you for writing in. If you would like to write in, you can email camdencastpod at gmail.com. And if you've got any thoughts, you just want to unload about the Orioles or a question you'd like to answer have me answer on a future episode of the show. That's where you can write. Okay, so let's quickly go through a couple of prospects of the episode, as now I'm going through one unheralded and one revisited prospect every episode. So unheralded, okay, maybe he's not totally unheralded, but he was kind of forgotten going into this season, and that was prospect Michael Hernandez, who was one of the seven-figure bonus guys in 2021, alongside of Samuel Basayo, who we've already talked about on this list. And, you know, some prospect rankings will put any of the guys who get seven figures right on a team's top prospect list. And sometimes the players that get put on right away don't perform to stay on those lists. As in the case of Hernandez, he was not on any uh, in the top 25 of any of the lists I looked at for my composite list. And that's probably because last year when he was an 18-year-old in the Florida Complex League, he batted 155 with a 280 on base percentage and a 203 slugging percentage. So that kind of dropped him off the radar. And just to give you an idea of 
what people thought about him when he did have kind of some of the immediate shine on him from signing. He was the number 20 prospect in the system prior to the 22 season as ranked by Fangraphs, which had, among the other things in his scouting report that year, quote, Hernandez provides a rare combination of size and athleticism that fits the casting call for a modern star-level shortstop. He has plus bat speed and power potential as he grows into his frame, but he's prone to overswinging at times and has too much pre-swing movement to give him mechanical consistency. A massive ceiling, but years away from knowing what his chances of reaching it are. End quote. So Hernandez repeating the Florida Complex League this year, and it's only been 10 games going into Thursday. And uh, he's batting 233 with a 298 on base percentage, 442 slugging percentage. Noteworthy to me is that he's already hit two home runs for the Florida Complex League Orioles this year. And he had zero home runs in either the Dominican Summer League or Florida Complex League before this year. That was a combined 331 plate appearances without a home run. So when you're talking about a guy who eventually needs to develop into the power potential, and now he's hit a couple home runs in 10 games when he had zero home runs previously, that's a little bit interesting. Uh, There's a guy I follow on Twitter. His Twitter name is Eric Birdland. He lives near Sarasota, and he tweets a whole lot about the Florida Complex League Orioles. And I'll just tell you, Eric Birdland has been very excited about the early performance of Michael Hernandez. So I've seen some of that on Twitter. I'm a little bit picking up on that and including him in this little series, I guess. Hernandez, he's still only 19 years old. So I mean, you know, it's as the Orioles have dipped their toes and really jumped in more than dipped their toes into the waters of signing international prospects. Like, you know, it was fun to really dream about, okay, they're going to get like a guy who races to an age 20 or younger debut, like Ronald Acuna Jr. or Juan Soto or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But the reality is even a lot of the million dollar guys at million plus dollar guys out of that market are going to be development projects. So, you know, if it doesn't work out for one, if it doesn't work out for multiple, that's okay. That's not unusual. The important thing is that the Orioles are trying and that they continue to try because you never know who you're going to find unless you're making the effort to find them. That was the frustrating thing about the previous Orioles regime, and it's one reason why the farm system became as as poor as it was, because they just they weren't making the effort to even try to get not only the stars, but just the kind of depth in the system that you could either turn into like your future utility infielder or fourth outfielder. So you don't have to use roll five picks on like Ryan Flaherty and Joey Rickard and have those be your big additions or, you know, whatever. Maybe you can even trade some of the guys you get. I don't know. Okay. So Michael Hernandez, that's my unheralded guy. I hope he can um, continue to live up for, live up to Eric Birdland's excitement about him. We'll see about that revisited the number three prospect on the composite top list, Jackson Holiday. Man, he's still pretty awesome, his numbers overall for the season. Although his OPS for the season has now dipped below 1,000. to uh, It was heading into Thursday. It was now down to 997. He's gotten to the point where he's reached 200 plate appearances at the high A level. That was a threshold suggested by now ex-athletic uh, writer Dan Connolly for when the Orioles look to promote some of their prospects from one level to the next. At Aberdeen, he's now got a 304 average, 446 on base, and a 491 slugging percentage. Pretty darn good. Although he has hit a rougher patch over the last month, really scuffling in June in particular. But his last 28 days split heading into Thursday was a 192 average, 
with a 359 on base percentage. So still getting the walks, but only a 247 slugging percentage. He's only got two extra base hits in the month of June, which I mean, that's not the most exciting thing to say as you're listening to this on June 23rd. You know, I'm recording it on the 22nd. So like, well, the Orioles need to see any more adjustment to this kind of rough patch from holiday before he goes up to Bowie, or are they really not going to be too concerned about it? Is it more of an ebb and flow? And, you know, they'll just promote him in a week or two, whether or not he uh, has like a week where he bats 400. I don't know. But I'm still plenty excited about Holiday. I think that it's time to get him to Bowie. So before I wrap up, I do want to look at just how a couple of the, well, a few of the other candidates who were mentioned as potential 1-1 picks by the Orioles last year uh, heading into the draft before they ultimately chose Holiday. So fellow son of a longtime MLBer, Drew Jones, well, he's only gotten to play 10 games this year at A-ball due to an injury. Uh, he's had a 476 OPS before getting that injury. So uh, not a great early start for him. Termar Johnson, who ended up getting drafted by the Pirates, he has played 44 games at low A, 887 OPS. I'm sure the Pirates are plenty happy they drafted Johnson. There was also Elijah Green, who was drafted by the Nationals at number five. He's played 54 games, also at low A, a 669 OPS so far. Maybe they're not as excited to have drafted Green. And there was one player who was mentioned as a college pick the Orioles might have taken, Brooks Lee, who was eventually taken at number eight in the draft by the Twins. And Lee is playing at the AA level so far this year because, of course, he was a college player, more advanced. He's posting a 264 average, 338 on base percentage, 413 slugging percentage. Okay. Not too bad. He's uh, only hit four home runs in 268 plate appearances so far. So there you go. I am plenty happy to uh, have the Orioles having drafted Jackson Holiday at this point. I hope you are too. So that's all I've got for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a rating or review and tell an Orioles fan in your life about the show. New episodes will be out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, so I'll be back with you on Monday morning, hopefully, with a nice Seattle Mariners series from the weekend to talk about. In between now and then, you can leave a comment for me on CamdenChat.com. I go by EatMoreSK in the comments there, although I do post articles under my real name. And you can also tweet at me at CamdenChat on Twitter. Good Morning Birdland is a CamdenCast production on the Fans First Sports Network. Until next time, go O's!